Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Sam Ashton, a multidisciplinary artist based in London who makes music as fortresses. And Sam's music is made from manipulated guitar, synthesizer, cassette hiss and found sounds. Field recording that evokes landscapes features quite heavily. And with Sam's music, I get the sense of walking through spaces, generally quite idyllic. There's something very open about the landscapes generated through Sam's music. The kind of spaces where you want to take a really deep breath, where you feel like you might be getting some really crisp, natural air. He uses repetition, which turns these spaces into kind of cyclical motifs or the kind of feeling that you're walking around the same spot over and over again. Perhaps you return there on a different day or, you know, you go there a few times a year. There's this sense of exploring what happens when we reconjure a place. Perhaps it's just revisiting it in your head and how that space changes in terms of our relationship with it over that process of reappraisal and reappraisal. That's the kind of experience that I get from Sam's music. This sense of re-confronting the same space. And to begin with, I guess it has this beautiful, pristine quality. And then suddenly it starts to, or gradually rather, it starts to possess more and more of our energy, our memories. There's so much to dig into with Sam's stuff. I can't remember if I said it's released on, Sam's music's released on Dragon's Eye, a wonderful label. And I will of course include links so you can check it out. And this was a really nice chat. Sam picked three records that um, I had a really good time with, a couple of which I have a very strong connection with too. And yeah, I love this chat a lot. So if you're enjoying Crucial Listening, you can support it over at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening. You can pay monthly, you can pay one off, any amount you please to help keep the podcast ticking. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening and for the kind comments too. They always mean a lot. Okay, this is... Sam Ashton, Fortresses on Crucial Listening. Sam, welcome to Crucial Listening. Hey Jack, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So you're here to talk about three important albums and before we get to those uh, I want to ask you about your own music as Fortresses which I've had a huge pleasure of becoming increasingly acquainted with over the past you know, one to two years. Um, oh, thanks a lot. So let's start right at the beginning. Um, tell me a little bit about how Fortresses came to life and then obviously you've been on a trajectory with it so maybe a bit about the releases that have emerged since your initial beginnings and how you've kind of developed the project through those releases yeah sure thing um so I'd been making ambient music for for years before I went public with the project I only really started taking it seriously toward the end of 2019 and I had an extremely varied range of influences and this made it hard for me to establish a cohesive sound that really felt like it represented me fully as a person because mm. I had so many influences coming from so many different places and um, at one point I was making music that was closer to drone and dark ambient and 
I eventually felt like that material didn't really represent my character and innermost thoughts that accurately. Um, mm. I also didn't really want to make music that was... I realized I didn't want to make music that was committed to having a dark and foreboding atmosphere. And um, I eventually sidelined that material. And um, at another point, I was um, working on some stuff that was closer to new age music with bells and wind chime-like sounds and FM synths and things. And I came to realize that I didn't feel fully comfortable with that sound either. Um, I also felt a bit strange making music that was linked to the new age spirituality movement, which I respect, but I'm not really part of. Mm -hmm. So Fortresses began as this long identity crisis, you could say. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, it, it began as this long period of trial and error and trying to find my sound. And I really wanted to make something that was atmospheric and listenable, but most of all, like it told my own story. I later became interested in field recordings for a number of reasons. I liked the fact that one can create texture and depth and movement and give imperfection and a natural feel to recordings, but I mostly became interested in field recordings for conceptual and sentimental reasons, not really just as a music production technique. Mm. I was interested in making music that could stand as a personal document of significant experiences in my life and incorporating field recordings at places where I'd grown up and other places that are meaningful to me felt like a way to to achieve individuality in my work. Um, I want to mention that I'm very aware that I'm not the only ambient musician who places field recordings of personal significance in their music but it's really how I make music that feels like it's telling my own story. Hmm. Uh, when I listen to it, uh, there's this sense that there's a piece of my unique life experience in the music. And um, it's primarily made with guitar. And another way that I found my sound was by writing music with guitar tunings that I'd made myself as a result of a very unfortunate injury I had just over a decade ago, which left half of my left hand effectively paralyzed. Um, I'd been a guitarist since I was 11, but um, after this injury, I could only press down on two strings on the fretboard at a time. And mm. so I resorted to creating these unusual open tunings that allowed me to continue playing more comfortable, more, more comfortably with just two fingers. And um, these chords that you can hear in my music with these um, interesting harmonic overtones, um, that's guitar played in these bespoke tunings with the strings heavily down-tuned. So they resonate in quite an interesting way. And um, so, yeah, it's really the the types of chords that I use and the field recordings of personal significance that make the music feel like it's really mine, to me, at least. And once you've established that as your sound and one that felt in alignment with with you... Where did you go? I mean, what did the first release look like once you had those foundations set? I recorded a track called Spring. Um, I'll just talk a little bit about um, the background of that track and things. Um, it was the, the midst of lockdown and I had a lot of time on my hands. And yeah, I had a lot of time on my hands as many people did. And I made this track Spring, which was conceptually simple. Um, I wanted to create something that felt bright and warm and optimistic and was inspired by the spring months. And um, that was really the moment when I felt like I was making something that was really honest and really like it represented me and it was ready to be shared, you know? And mm. um, yeah, so when I finished that track, um, I sent it to be mastered by Taylor Dupree, who is, um, for those who don't know, he is uh, a very well-known and respected experimental musician and mastering engineer. And I'd been a fan of his for a very long time. And um, he did an amazing job on that track. He totally transformed it and corrected um, some of the problems that were in the, the stereo mix down. And um, yeah, when he wrote back, he was really complimentary about it, which gave me a huge amount of confidence. Mm. Um, at that point, nobody had heard any music from me <laughs> and right. he was the very first person to hear wow. to hear fortresses and um that um drove me to introduce myself to labels 
Um, I sent it to Dragon's Eye Recordings, who, for those for those who don't know, are um, an LA-based experimental label who I'd been a fan of for a long time. And um, one of the reasons why I sent it to them was because of their demo policy. They had and still have a demo policy that accepts music from artists of colour, LGBTQIA plus artists, disabled artists, neurodivergent artists and female artists. And um, mm-hmm. I want to say that that demo policy felt really important to me and still does as a half black person who has spent my entire life as a visual artist and musician, um, being one of the only and often the only person of color in these spaces, you know, and mm. um, I really appreciated uh, the label's ethos and incentive that acknowledges the sense of marginalization and alienation that one can experience as an artist who belongs to one of these groups. And uh, in honesty, I didn't have high hopes for Dragon's Eye. I felt very conscious of the fact that historically they've released work that's more on the minimalist and abstract side of ambient and work that categorizes more accurately as sound art. So I wrote to them and said, I've liked your label for a long time. This is probably too pretty for the label. Um, (laughs) But they responded very positively and asked if I wanted to make a record for them. And I was very pleased about that. And that's when I began work on my debut EP Eve. And um, yeah, I should probably just uh, continue to talk about the rest of the releases up to this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I made that record uh, slowly over a period of about nine months. It took me far longer to make than I expected. And uh, when it was finished, I asked the label to, to not promote it as a lockdown record for a number of reasons. I really didn't uh, want people to associate the music with the lockdown era. Mm. Um, I felt very strange centering myself in a situation that was so tragic for so many millions of people across the world and and still is. And I didn't really want to create this narrative about me in relation to that event. It Mm. really just didn't feel right. Um, But that said, uh, that's what the record is in literal terms. Um, Right. Even though I don't really want it to be uh, looked at that way, that's that's what it uh, what it is. And um, I approved the final edit uh, from Taylor Dupree on the same day I got my second vaccine, which was quite symbolic. Um, Oh wow! I I really immersed myself in that record, um, and then the same day it was really finished. I was able to reconnect with the world. Um, it was like the uh, real end of an era for me. Wow. And um, yeah, just some details about the record. Um, it was, uh, uh, all the field recordings were recorded in natural spaces where I've grown up in London. And each of the three pieces explores a different mood that I uh, associate with a certain time of day. And the track order is intended to reflect that. So uh, June is the morning jade is the late afternoon and the final track eve represents the shift from the afternoon into into the night and that track was originally 18 minutes long but i thought that um i just felt like that was a bit too bold for my first release i don't know um (laughs) i think i i just i I ended up trimming it down um to, to 12 minutes i think yeah um yeah it's it's about 12 minutes and I think it works better as a shorter piece. It's still meant to give this feeling of darkness and expanse. But yeah, I thought 18 minutes was a little bit too long, um, <laughs> especially for a, a repeating loop. So um, right. yeah, um, that EP was decently well received in the end. Um, I had quite a few people writing to me expressing that it moved them and it got a couple of very heartwarming reviews and uh, two of those three songs were played on KEXP radio which was a huge moment for me as I'd never had my music played on the radio before um, or a radio station that wasn't an internet radio station and um, yeah a couple of months after that Dragon's Eye put out the initial demo spring which was also decently well received so Dragon's Eye have been the perfect introduction to the wider experimental and ambient community for me. Um, mm. Jan, Jan Novak, um, the artist who runs the label, who I'm aware has been on this podcast before, um, mm. has been hugely supportive of my work and has connected my work to radio DJs and journalists and bloggers and 
artists who I've looked to for inspiration for a long time. I've I've been connected to to, to names in the world of uh, ambient and experimental who have had a huge influence on me. Um, so I'm really grateful for the work that he's doing and to be a part of that project. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. So sometime sometime after that, um, I released the track called Near. After some time spent in the Pacific Northwest of America, I went to Portland, Oregon for a work opportunity and was able to stay there for a month. And it was a really life-changing time for me. And I took the opportunity to explore the forested areas of Oregon that surround the city. And it coincided with a, a time of big changes in my personal life. I integrated with the place and I met people who have continued to become very good friends of mine and I actually honestly began to feel like I belonged there and uh, it's a fascinating part of the world to me that inspires me culturally and artistically and politically and nowadays I really see it as a second home and I made this piece near inspired by the atmosphere and the climate and the landscapes of Oregon with with field recordings I'd made on my walks in the forest and that piece was intended to evoke the old growth forests and the mist and the gloomy atmosphere and the rain and it was also about my experience of of acclimatizing to the place and my personal memories of it and the formative experience I had there and um it's a very good example of how I approach my music with a sense of personal documentation, like a scrapbook or a diary. The act of placing field recordings in my work is like placing a memento in a scrapbook or a mm. photo or in a photo album to me. I, I'm recording a piece of personal history and every time I revisit it, I'm tapping into a significant part of my past. And every time I listen to Near, I'm transported back to the place and the experiences that inspired it and um when i finished that song i had very ambivalent feelings about it i wasn't sure if people were going to like it um but uh that is i think that's my best received piece of work so far it had some very heartwarming reviews and i'm really pleased with the response uh that came back from that track and um yeah, sometime after that, uh, Dragon's Eye released another Fortress and single titled Here, uh, which came out earlier this year. And um, conceptually, that's uh, similar That's similar to Spring in the way that it's inspired by seasonal change. And uh, it's inspired by autumn and is intended to convey the mood and atmosphere of the autumn months. And um, it signifies the autumn months in a different way as well. Uh, it represents processing a year as it comes to a close and... Uh, the act of making that piece was a way of processing what was uh, a pretty rough year for me in some parts and it represents reaching a, a place of closure and renewal as the new year was approaching and um, like Eve it contains uh, field recordings of um, natural spaces where I've, I've um, taken walks throughout my whole life in East London and that brings us up to date that's all the published fortresses material so far that's three long form singles and an ep so as you say your most recent piece is here which came out back in july and um in your press release it refers to this one expanding on your creative exercise in patience which is a phrase that caught my attention i wonder if you could tell me more about what that exercise is. Um, The word patience refers to how that track is less busy than my other work. It's strange to talk about tempo in music that has no BPM and no (laughs) rhythm, but um, that track is my slowest piece to date. Uh, There are longer gaps between the chords and notes than any of my other works. And in terms of arrangement, it's a skeletal arrangement with far less variation than my other work. Um, I was I was thinking a lot about how effective negative space can be, and I mm. had the artist Sarah Devachi's music in mind uh, whilst making that. Her right. music is beautifully minimalistic and restrained, and has this really effective use of negative space. And yeah, I was focusing on bold simplicity, and I wanted to try. I really wanted to try placing the field recording at the very front of the mix where vocals would usually sit uh, just because 
field recordings um again are such an important part of what i do i really wanted to try something that would foreground them almost having the music set back a little bit you know we've spoken a little bit about this over email but there's one thing i wanted to address specifically which i'm really charmed by with your music i think works beautifully is this format of standalone singles you know the eight to ten minutes long which is lovely like you completely listen to them differently for having them exist uh as finite entities rather than part of a record the appraisal feels so different so i wonder if you could tell me a little bit about what appeals to you in working that way with fortresses yeah um i see each track is carrying the potency of a longer record just because of how much time I spend on a single piece and how much each piece <laughs> represents things that are really significant in my life. And um, yeah, it's just the way of working that comes naturally to me. I spend a really long time on one piece and I really just can't look at any of these pieces as being small or insignificant because of how much each piece holds for me and how much the music defines me as a person you know i really can't put something out unless it's been worked into for a long period of time and yeah this this has, has worked so far um releasing singles sporadically um that's something that i am looking to change but yes yeah, so far it's um it's been received decently well Ace, well sam i've loved hearing about the trajectory of the music i've listened to all your releases and i've loved hearing that musical development but it's Awesome to hear it from your side and hear it nestled within your intention. So thank you so much. And really, I'd implore people to go and check out the Fortress's material. Uh, it's on Bandcamp, as you say. Um, it's released on Dragon's Eye. It's wonderful. Um, been having the best time with it. So I'll put links in the show notes so people can go and do just that. So, Sam, we'll go to your important records now, but before we address any of them specifically i wanted to ask about how you thought about this word important when picking your list so was there a way that you understood importance or the word important in order to come up with the list that you did each of these tracks has opened me up to a world of music that has shaped my musical direction and interestingly i didn't really like it first but I've oh. uh, continued to become hugely, hugely influential and special records that represent important moments in my life. Love it. Okay, great. So we can go for whichever one feels like the most appropriate one to go with first. So if you could start by giving me the name of it and then a little bit about why that one's important to you. The Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place by Explosions in the Sky. This record represents a crucial point in my evolution as a musician and music listener. It forges a link between who I was as a teenager playing in punk bands to who I am now as an adult who makes quiet, introspective music. Mm. I grew up in punk bands and I discovered explosions in my late teens and I went uh, from being someone who was interested in distorted guitars and loud volumes to discovering explosions in the sky who blend loud volumes with quieter moments to eventually becoming someone who makes quiet and introspective music. So <laughs> uh, I went from being interested in loud music to eventually being primarily interested in quiet music. So there's this linear <laughs> progression in my identity as um, a musician and a music listener. And I think that explosions in the sky influence that transition. So you mentioned that you didn't connect with these records initially. Mm -hmm. um, when did you start to connect with The Earth Is Not A Cold Dead Place? Um, it was 2006. I was 17 years old. Again, my musical interests were a little bit different at this point. But um, at this point, my music taste was beginning to expand and diversify. 
And yeah, I didn't dislike it. I just didn't really take the time with it. I was mm. well aware of them and I didn't really take the time with the slow buildups and things. It was only when I discovered the follow-up record when it came out in 2007, all of a sudden I miss everyone, that it really clicked. Mm. I saw it in a record store and listened on headphones on one of these try-before-you-buy CD player setups that they used to have and sign of the times, yeah. And um, I remember playing the first track, The Birth and Death of the Day. And that is the moment when I started paying attention to Explosions in the Sky. Um, for those who haven't heard that song, it begins with this arresting, loud, distorted, lo-fi sounding chord followed by a couple of minutes of sustained, screaming, distorted guitar notes, and it blew my mind, and it's still my favorite intro to an album of all time, just the first three chords alone, actually, and huh. that that prompted me to revisit all this other material that I had ignored. Um, I bought the record straight away, and I ended up buying The Earth Is Not A Cold Dead Place as well, and yeah, it was a grower. It, um, it quickly became my favorite record after that and um or one of my favorite records and again all of these records are growers um if i don't like a record at first it's probably a good sign <laughs> that's interesting because i can totally see how if you're someone who's come in from loud music being initiated on all of a sudden i miss everyone uh makes so much more sense because the start of the earth is not a cold dead place is the exact opposite of that Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. You know, the start of First Breath After Coma, which, you know, makes sense given the narrative of that song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that's uh, one of my favourite Explosions tracks. Um, it really defines them. I really like how that track doesn't go heavy. Um, if you'd asked me 15 years ago about my favourite Explosions tracks, I most probably would have picked one of the louder ones. But yeah, nowadays, when I want to listen to to explosions, I I typically pick the ones that stay pretty mellow the whole way through. That's the same as me. So I think this is my favourite off this record, but I always said uh, Memorial was my favourite for ages. That track's um, amazing. It's great, isn't it? I mean, so, so First Breath After Coma, is that your favourite off this record, I presume? I would say the first and last track. So that's uh, First Breath After Coma and Your Hand In Mine. I think those are two defining Explosions tracks. I really I really do like how they, they don't really go heavy and reveal them to be a band who have um, fantastic songwriting and arrangement at the heart of what they do. Mm. Uh, there isn't this barrage of distortion, which I love as well. But yeah, for me, those two tracks really define them and reveal the ingenuity of their songwriting. Yeah, 100%. In fact, that leads me on to another question I wanted to ask where uh, which is about your relationship with the guitar which we've spoken about a bit in the intro but I also saw in an interview with 15 questions you mentioned that everything comes back to the guitar and given like you say I mean the way that they write these songs and I think there's often three guitars right playing at any one time so intricately woven together is there anything about the way that Explosions in the Sky or other similar post-rock bands approach the use of guitar that has informed in any way your relationship with it? Post-rock music has really uh, impacted the way I compose music. The repetitive quality of Fortresses is indebted to post-rock as a, as a genre, um, mm. not really just Explosions. I want to say that I'm aware that some artists reject that term. I'm not really sure how I feel about it myself, but just as a catch-all term, yeah, post-rock, bands like Explosions and Mogwai and Godspeed and Talk Talk and mm. Tortoise and Slint, all of these bands use repetition in a really interesting way. And I would say that that is the aspect of the genre and explosions that influences me the most. Um, not so much on my guitar playing so much, but yeah, the, the repetitive mm. aspect of the, of the music, definitely. I listen to the track New Grass often as a reference for how to produce a repeating phrase that feels uh, natural and fluid without sounding like a broken record um, because there's this guitar riff that uh, repeats throughout the whole song and 
I often listen to that track to remind myself of how to make something that feels repetitive yet natural and listenable and um, mm. yeah some of the reviews of my music describe the loops in my music as respiratory and refer to breathing which I really appreciate because I'm aiming to create music that feels natural and like it's alive and not like something repeating over and over again in a mechanical way mm. um, by composing music with loops I'm aiming to create something that's something that gives a similar sensation to watching waves on the ocean or or ripples I, I want the loops to to barely even feel like they're digitally produced uh, they're intended to feel repetitive in a in a meditative and entrancing way you know and it's um, these variations that happen around the loop and that help me achieve that effect and yeah when I think about that track by Talk Talk and there's another track as well um, The Dead Flag Blues by Godspeed You Black Emperor um, mm. that repeating riff that comes in um, I think it's like two minutes in or so there's this one repeating phrase with these subtle variations happening around it um, yeah those are two examples of post-rock tracks that have reshaped really how I compose music absolutely that's really interesting that you mentioned new grass because now I'm thinking about it as we're talking. That's one of those repeated phrases where I think when you hear it for the first time, it's not obvious that it's repeating because of that. Um, it's not like a straight four bar phrase, is it? Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. you know something that kind of overlaps. So it's only really for me anyway. It was like the third or fourth time it comes back round that you mm -hmm. get this gradual. Um, settling in feeling that something is repeating and I definitely got that with here as well in the sense that you know you have I don't know if they're identical or, or just similar uh, field recordings coming to the front each time or, or a structural repetition that emerges that it's only about the fourth time that you're listening that you go oh we're we're back and we keep coming back here and that <laughs> slow onset of repetition is you know very different to other manifestations say in you know techno which wants to knock you over the head with mm -hmm, the fact mm -hmm. that it's repeating so yeah i wanted to make that observation because it's it's lovely and it definitely feels like i'm able to piece it together hearing you talk about talk talk on that track um i massively appreciate that thanks a lot um yeah i really do just find myself listening to that one song as um a way to um, remind myself of how to produce a loop that doesn't feel like a broken record you know it's um mm. it's it's actually quite challenging to um especially when working in the computer um to make music that is repetitive yet feels fluid and naturalistic to return to explosions in the sky they put out a new album a few months back now and their trajectory has been really interesting. They've definitely developed a lot as a band. What's your take on the new record? If you've had a chance to listen to it. Um, I haven't had a chance uh, to listen to the full record yet, but I heard a couple of those singles that they've put out and I really enjoyed them. Uh, they're one of those bands who I respect so much. I, th I feel like I will just automatically like everything they do. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, um, yeah, I, I really just feel like I, I owe them so much, and they're such a big part of uh, my, you know, set of musical inspirations that I will always listen to what they do with a sense of appreciation and respect. You know, I, um, I'm looking forward to checking out the the new record. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I kind <laughs> sure of forgot too. about it, but I'll, I'll check it out now for sure. And have you seen Explosions in the Sky live? I have, and each time I've seen them, it's a uniquely magical experience. Um, I think they're one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, I love the clarity of the sound and the way they perform and the fact that they play a different set every night, which is pretty much unheard of. Yeah, I think they play a different yeah. set every night, which spans their whole discography, which is, yeah, which is amazing, uh, considering how much, that it, it just sounds like their music requires so much rehearsal, you know?
Okay, Sam, let's go to your second important record. So again, if you could give me the name of it and then a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. Uh, this is Dragging a Dead Deer Up a Hill by Grupo. And uh, this is one of my most listened to records. I listen to it twice a day for about a year. Wow. But I've mostly picked it because of the world of music that it led me to discover. It doesn't really have too much of a direct influence on my sound, but it marks the beginning of me becoming more interested and invested in ambient and experimental music. And um, it was early 2011. I'd been listening to Raphael Anton Irisari's music, who's a huge influence on me. Mm. And some other artists who are similar for, for a while. Um, I, I only really dabbled in ambient at this point. Um, I listened to Pan American and and Hammock as well. Um, I really just dabbled here, you know, I, I listened to ambient here and there. Then I came across Dragging a Dead Deer up a hill and that led me to discover the British label Type Records. And the Type Records discography is the single biggest influence on me as an ambient musician. And it's my favorite label. It was hard for me to pick one release from that label for this interview, but I, again, I chose this as it, it was um, the first one I discovered from the label and it's the one that I've listened to the most. Um, but upon discovering Type, I discovered artists such as Richard Skelton and Jeffrey Cantu Ledesma, who are both just as influential to me. And that led me to um, discovering Boomcat, who mm. promote promote all these amazing labels like 12k and editions mago and room 40 and um that also led me to discover william basinski that's probably the most apparent influence on my music that's um quite often the first name that comes up when people um, ask about my my influences and um i nearly chose uh, his record the disintegration loops for this interview but um Again, I, I chose this as it was the record that prompted me to dig deeper into this area of the music world. And it marks the moment where I went down the rabbit hole of ambient and experimental music. And it's a rabbit hole that I'm yet to come out of over 10 years later. <laughs> awesome. Do you remember how you first came into contact with this group of records? Um, I, I don't think there's a very interesting backstory. I think it was um, on Last FM or iTunes. And I remember discovering it. Uh, when I discovered this record, it kind of confused me at first, to be honest. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I heard elements of different genres I liked, like ambient and shoegaze and acoustic singer-songwriter music. But at the same time, the music sounded like none of those genres. And it was hard for me to ascertain what the music really categorized as, especially mm. as I listened to the first track first, which to me has a slightly eerie feel about it. And to me, doesn't really feel that much like the rest of the record. And yeah. I, I listened to it from start to finish. And after about three or four listens, I became unable to stop listening to it. <laughs> and again, if I were to describe this as an ambient record, that would be giving an inaccurate idea of what the music's like. If I were to call this a shoegaze record, that would also be inaccurate. If I were to call it a folk record or a singer-songwriter record, that would be inaccurate. It really stands on its own. I feel like dragging a dead deer up a hill is its own sound, and it's a sound that it has its own sound that has continued to become influential and I can hear mm. the influence of this record on newer artists today and I see this as a simplistically innovative record mm. acoustic guitar with vocals drowned in reverb it's um, kind of strange to think that this idea hadn't really been explored before this at least not in the same way um, mm. maybe I'm overstating the originality of it Maybe there are some artists who did this before, but from where I'm standing, this is a really seminal record. It washes over you like an ambient record, um, but buried beneath this cloud of reverb, there are these really strong melodies and even choruses. And 
actually really moving lyrics where discernible and it's not this it's not this shapeless ambient record there's really solid structures and songwriting on him do you have a favorite track i'd say that my favorite tracks are heavy water and uh, the track fishing bird i i feel like those tracks really define the sound that's explored on the record absolutely the one that always really stayed with me I was going to say stuck with me but that would sound clumsy is stuck um, mm-hmm. which lands what I think it's, is it the third track on the record I think it's and the third one yeah yeah you've got this six minute wallow in you know the most simple idling chord progression um, so lovely and it really shows off Grouper's use of um, open tunings i don't know this for certain but i'd be very surprised if i was incorrect but it feels like she's playing you know maybe two of the strings just to identify the chord and the rest of the strings are left completely open in this like you know very congruent harmonic open tuning mm-hmm. and you know you've spoken about using bespoke tunings yourself um i wondered whether this record informed your relationship with guitar and tuning? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say that Grouper's music influences my guitar playing. I'm aware that uh, Liz Harris, um, aka Grouper, is influenced by early shoegaze music, um, which I am Mm. as well. So I think that maybe our influences are coming from a a similar place. Right. Yeah, this this Grouper record is so wonderful it's the second time it's come up uh, on the podcast so Kalia Vandiver also chose it but also um, Geneva Skeen chose Grouper's split with is it Roy Montgomery I want to say um, which is absolutely lovely she's released a ton of wonderful stuff I think you've spoken to this perhaps already the fact that this specific record has a such a unique character and obviously came very early on in the Grouper discography but I don't know what your familiarity is like with the rest of Grouper's discography but I wondered if there was a specific reason why this one uh, among Grouper's work was the important one for you. Yeah I love all of her music that um, preceded this and has come after. Um, Again uh, this one is special to me because it really does just mark the beginnings of me becoming the musician I am today in a lot of ways discovering that is what um yeah again made me kind of really enthusiastic to to dive into the world of ambient and experimental music and yeah I really see um where I am now as an ambient and experimental musician as that's that record is responsible for where I am now creatively in a lot of ways and I know you've spoken about the fact that this Grouper record or Grouper generally was uh, informative in terms of your affection for the Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting I I wondered I mean you've spoken a bit about the fact that also just being there sowed a lot of the seeds for that connection too but was there anything about Grouper's music that generated that real affinity with that place as well? Um, I wouldn't say that it generated uh, my affinity for the place, but when I visited Portland for the first time and I was exploring the east side of the city, which has this beautifully serene and tranquil aura about it, in my mind, I was like, I'm really not surprised the group's music was made here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, um, there's this really, yeah, there's this really tranquil and serene and beautiful vibe about the place and people live their lives with a strong connection to nature and the earthy mellow atmosphere of this record specifically um, in my mind really fit the scenery of the place and I don't know if Grouper's music is influenced by the nature of the Pacific Northwest in any way but in my mind as a listener I definitely associate the music with the Pacific Northwest absolutely. And have you seen Grouper live? I've seen Grouper many times now. She creates this effect that's really vast and expansive, yet also really hushed and intimate. And that 
kind of sounds like a total contradiction in terms, but <laughs> <laughs> it's this really unique effect of her music that it's that is quite difficult to describe and it can't really be described. It has to be experienced to be understood. She's really a unique artist whose music has a wholly unique effect. Sam, we've got one more important record. So again, if you could give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. It's the self-titled by Burial. Um, I'll start by saying I have so much to say about Burial's music. I'm really not sure if I'm able to say it all in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel a really strong personal connection to Burial's music as a native Londoner. And the music for me reflects the atmosphere and character of the city where I've grown up. And um, I remember reading that the artist Flying Lotus didn't understand Burial's music until he visited London, which <laughs> wow, absolutely made sense to me. Uh, and I'm actually really surprised at how popular his music is in other parts of the world because I can just I can barely imagine someone sitting in sunny California listening to Burial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, sure. I can't. I can't separate his music from gloomy London. You know, um, it feels really incongruous to me. But his music has been well received all over the world, and I really think that he is an artist whose level of success is proportionate to the quality of his music. And um, I'm speaking about Burial generally, um, rather than the record specifically. But I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah, Burial's music has. Uh, elements of UK dance music and ambient but to me his music is closer to ambient than anything else and his music has created a lot of discourse in the music world about what influences the music and the sound and there's no other artist who's created as much conversation about their work in the music world whilst the mm. artist says next to nothing about their work publicly <laughs> yes. and yeah much of these theories about his music are speculative and I feel like the way that Burial's music is received is similar to an art historian discovering a piece of art from a bygone era. There's, mm. no, there's no artist to tell you what their intention was. All of the clues are in the art and all one can do is piece together their own interpretation from details that are present in the work, you know. And I have my own interpretation, which is I see Burial's music as a homage to the city with mm. elements of genres that have originated here and to me his music gives this sense of being in a busy and hectic place yet experiencing a feeling of deep isolation and introspection and and melancholy though surrounded by the chaos of the city and it's these song titles like night bus and distant lights and loner that mm. evoke this image of someone in an urban environment who feels removed and disconnected with their surroundings. And when I listen to his music, I see these tones of dark gray and colors that feel like London at its most gloomy and miserable. Mm. Uh, every part of um, this record makes me think of London and is just London through and through. Burials come up once before on this podcast. Aho San picked Untrue, actually, which. I think seems to be the one do correct me if I'm wrong Untrue seems to be the one that floats to the top perhaps more often than yeah. self-titled so I'm curious as to why self-titled out of those two is the one that sticks out for you as the important one that's a good question um, because I was torn between those two records um, I chose this because it has some of my favourite burial tracks on it um, it was tough competition um, but uh, yeah, there are tracks on here that, that stand out for me. Um, 
among all of his records so yeah this one won in the end but they are both <laughs> life-changing records which are the favorite tracks on self-titled my favorite track is broken home because it doesn't sound like anything that's been made before or since it's a genre-defying piece of music that's full of mystery to me mm. there's this um drum pattern throughout and most of the individual drum parts barely sound like kicks or snares or hi-hats and these drum samples aren't placed in any typical place in the eight bar phrase it's this random sounding sequence of strange and unidentifiable percussive sounds that run throughout the entire song and when i think of the innovation of burial it's that song that springs to mind so in your notes that you sent over to me you mentioned the fact that Beryl's music sits at the intersection of ambient and UK dance. Mm -hmm. And um, you also mentioned the fact that it wasn't perhaps an intersection that was, you know, immediately apparent in your music. Although I I, I feel like once you said it, I I feel like I could at least theorize where I might be hearing that influence. But what is it about that intersection between... You know, ambient and UK dance that you find particularly interesting? Dance music isn't really on my mind when composing Fortress's music, but I am very interested in some genres of dance music and, uh, yeah, again, mostly UK dance music. Um, I have a huge appreciation for nearly all of the dance music genres that have emerged in the UK in the last 20 years or so, which I think some people uh, refer to as UK-based music, and um, Mm. I'm really interested in the German dub techno sound as well. Um, Yeah, again, I see my interest in these genres as being totally separate from my practice as fortresses, but perhaps my interest in these genres is feeding into my work more than I realise. Perhaps one of the reasons why I'm so comfortable making music that has persistent repetition is because of the fact that my... My ears are so accustomed to the relentless repetition of dance music. And um, Mm. I also really like hip hop as well, Um, especially the East Coast production style. Jay Dilla and DJ Premier have made some of my favorite instrumentals of all time. And Mm. maybe that's another thing that has unconsciously influenced my use of repetition. Another thing with Burial that's so prominent is the use of say like incidental or unwanted sound um and i've seen you talk in the interview with 15 questions about trying to become less of a perfectionist so i wondered if this aspect of burial's music might be informing your desire to loosen your own relationship with perfection it's really interesting that you say that because um to me as a listener everything in Burial's music sounds very deliberate and Mm. I think the fact that we see his music differently is an example of how everyone has their own unique interpretation of Burial's music as I was saying earlier to some it sounds imperfect and raw Uh, to me it sounds masterfully constructed and and intricate and Mm. um, really if anything it's the opposite it makes me want to to be even more careful and deliberate and intentional with how I place the textures and noise in my music. I think Mm. that the way he places samples on the grid to me sounds, you know, it's it's genius. And is this a record that you still listen to now? Absolutely. I would say that um, I have even more respect uh, for Burial's music now than in the past. Um, I really... I really owe so much to him. I really, um, yeah, I should probably talk about the link between my music and Burial now. Um, Mm. The thing that influences me the most about his music is his use of texture and noise and field recordings. And he creates this dimensionality and, and depth. And I'll never be able to execute these techniques as effectively as him. But, but yeah, if you listen to my music, the, um, the stereo imaging of the, the field recordings and, and the noise is is directly uh, influenced by by his music, and um, I really believe that his music production techniques have had a resounding influence on the landscape of 
music production as a whole. White noise and vinyl crackle in music is something that he perhaps didn't originate, but I really feel like a lot of ambient artists and dance music producers use techniques that can be traced back to burial. Um, I don't typically say that artists uh, changed music, but in, in this case, I, I really think that the burial has changed the landscape of music production, absolutely. Um, I've been listening to his music since the late 2000s, and every time I put his music on, I hear something that I didn't notice before, like a subtle texture or mysterious sample buried in the sound. As you mentioned, there are artists that have come in the advent of burial, which absolutely point back to burial. I wondered if discovering burial changed your listening or made you uh, open to these artists that have come in the wake of burial. Like, did discovering burial affect your inclinations as a listener? I think that burial's music is is peerless. Um, I don't really think that his music belongs to a certain movement or scene. Um, his music kind of exists in a bubble. Um, I discovered Hyperdub Records um, after discovering Burial and I think that Hyperdub Records have put out so many amazing records over the years and yeah I don't think these artists are similar to Burial but um, yeah Laurel Halo and uh, Lorraine James mm. and Iconica and, and Zombie these are all amazing forward-thinking electronic music artists and I really like Code 9 the label founders music as well um, yeah I don't associate these artists with with burial as such but they're amazing artists that um that i was prompted to discover after hearing burial One thing I like to ask as well at the end of the podcast is about your listening habits or how music comes into your life as a listener. So I'm talking formats, like whether you have any preferred formats, where your music listening tends to take place. So yeah, I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that. That's a good question. Um, nowadays... I listen to music a lot. <laughs> it sounds strange, but I listen to um, most of my music listening today happens whilst I'm waiting for um, tracks to export on the computer whilst I'm working <laughs> on music. Um, I have quite an old uh, computer um, and I quite often when I'm working, I don't really listen to the playback in the software. I don't listen in Logic. I I, I will make some changes to a piece um, in Logic and I'll export it, which takes a few minutes. And I always <laughs> listen to music in those little gaps. Um, <laughs> and um, I listen to music uh, whilst on the go and before I go to bed. And I I buy music. I unfortunately can't afford all the music I want to listen to so um, I use Spotify but mm -hmm. um, if uh, I come across a record that really uh, that I find really special I'll, I'll buy it and um, I always write to artists as well if an artist's work has moved me I always I always write to them and tell them um, especially if it's a lesser known artist well Sam thank you so much this has been amazing I mean firstly just to get such a rich insight into your music and these three records were heaps of fun to listen to and doubly so now i have all your context as well so i'm looking forward to diving back into them imbued with your own adoration for them so huge thanks thanks so much jack it's been awesome and to everyone listening see you next time goodbye <laughs>